Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. I am super excited, guys. I have Austin Current on here with me. And when did we meet Austin? Was that for 2018? When was it? 2018, maybe. Oh my goodness. It was, was it the first? It wasn't the first N1 camp. No, it would have been probably the second or third. That's it. That's crazy. It's been forever. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that long. But it doesn't. But it what's been. crazy is then we just barely saw each other again at another N1 camp. Yeah. yeah. And it tends to be where we see each other, which is, I mean, <laughs> I know. it's great. Where's, is there a nerd camp going on? We'll be yeah. there. Like, <laughs> yeah. Muscles, nerds. Great. I'll be there. <laughs> yep. I love it. Okay, Austin, I'm actually going to have you introduce yourself. I feel like you could do a better <laughs> job. We'll see. I would just I talk know. about biomechanics camps and such. So go ahead and let my audience know who you are, just a little bit about you. Yeah, so I've been a personal trainer since 2013. I started in person, got into the online space, uh, and I've continued to do both ever since. I started lifting when I was about 12, and so that was an early part of my life that really got ingrained into me and the physical pursuit of things, my ability to physically express myself through strength training really drove a lot of my, my teenage years and childhood and into my, my early adulthood, which got me into competing and professionally in bodybuilding. I turned pro when I was 20 in the IFBB and I had a short stint, about a four year career there Mm -hmm. in the IFBB competing and physique which was great. I learned a ton about myself. I learned a ton about this thing that we do, uh, about working with people, working of all different types and learning how to push myself and learning kind of what works, what doesn't, or what may work better for some and, and not for others. And that's just kind of continued on. And so, you know, I started lifting when I was quite young. I've had a lot of people around me who were very, very smart and very, very intelligent and, and really guided me in the right direction from a very young age. And so I've been very fortunate in that way. And fortunately, I've, I've just been a sponge uh, my my whole life here lifting and I've taken in a lot and I've had a lot of opportunity th- to study not only through university, but also under some really smart people and, and other trainers and educators in the space. Uh, so that's kind of what's landed me up to this point and led me to writing my book, Science of Strength Training and publishing that in 2021. Science of strength training. So I think I shared that one or two times in stories because I, I get a lot of questions with, with women and men who are just starting out and they don't know where to even go. They may even be overwhelmed by the amount of information that I share. And some women have even been like, can you point to the tricep? Like what are triceps? <laughs> like you keep saying yeah. this word or or whatever, right? Can you can you point there? Your book is actually one that I've strongly encouraged. Even some coaches, I'm like, I think you're missing some of the basics. Yeah. You probably just want that on your shelf to f- like freshen up yourself or even to use it as a resource for your own clients. So I yeah. I love that book. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I, I had two audiences in mind when I wrote it uh, to try and touch on, and I hopefully did a good job. I think I did a fairly decent job, at least, at kind of bridging the gap for people who are just kind of starting out into the gym. So 
your beginners, more novice up to like an intermediate level of, Hey, I just got into this and, or I've been into it for a bit, but I need to learn more or would like to dive in a little bit more. And then the early on personal trainer who, you know, you can put names to things, you can put processes to things, you can put certain systems to, to kind of see it, how it works in practice with things that you may have already been doing. We are like, oh, this is why that works. So this is why muscles grow when I do that. I, I was kind of hoping to touch on those early on gym goers, but also the early on personal trainers and kind of bring it all into one and into one affordable resource. So I'm hoping I did that. And I think I did. Yeah, it's on Amazon, is it? I'll, I'll put a link in the notes. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Yeah, Science of Strength Training. If you just go to Amazon and type in strength training book, it's usually the one of the first to pop up. But yeah, it's got a yellow cover, so it's pretty easy to spot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes because it is really good. I really do like it as a resource. I was really excited when you published that. And I, I think I was like on the wait list and everything because I wanted to support you. But also I love um, books like that. I love, and I love you. I love that you're a life learner. Yeah. And I feel like one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here is because I feel like you're one that will dive into the nuance, but then you have the wisdom to know where to place the information. Does yeah. that make sense? Absolutely. I, I think that's, I think that's a part of kind of aging and, and maturing in any field that you're in. Mm -hmm. uh, I think when you're first starting out into something, you tend to find yourself living within one extreme or another, and it tends to be fairly myopic or, narrow viewed mm -hmm. and everything seems to be filtered through, well, this has been my experience, which is great. But as you become more seasoned in any career that no longer s keeps working mm. to a degree, right? And you have to start to be able to dive deep, but also to take your, remove yourself from it to have a, a higher kind of 30,000 foot view of, okay, this is all well and good, but now where do I put this? How do I use this more specifically with people when, when and where they need it? The best way I've been able to kind of think about it is on your computer, you kind of have these folders, right? Mm -hmm. On your desktop, let's say you have a folder with a bunch of stuff in it, sometimes organized, sometimes not. It's sometimes how we learn things <laughs> and retain <laughs> yeah. them. I see the information that we accumulate in our career as these folders that we can go and click on. And sometimes there's subfolders, there's sometimes there's subfolders within those subfolders, depending on how much depth you have in a certain subject. But regardless, you're, you're able to kind of go to a certain folder, open it up and go to this reservoir of knowledge that you've been able to accumulate through experience or through study and learn kind of where to apply it and why. And I think being able to go deep, but also go wide zoom out. They're both very important skills. Mm -hmm. it, it's so true. Um, I did want to ask you a few questions about what do you, because you, I mean, you started lifting at 12. Mm -hmm. I remember my husband wasn't, his dad told him that he couldn't lift until he was 14 because it would stunt his, stunt growth, his growth, right? Yeah. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably one of the, um, I mean, that that one, it just never dies. It's kind of like the knees over toes thing. Yeah. 
where it's oh, like- Oh yeah, I get that all the time at the gym uh, when I'm training people in person or doing a in-person seminar or something. People are like, mm-hmm. now when I do this lunge, now I know my knees aren't supposed to go beyond my toes. And I'm like, not necessarily true. You know, either you gotta go into it and you're like, well, this is why, this is why, this is a position, right? And yeah, those mists kind of never, never die, um, unfortunately. But yeah, I started young. Yeah. So let's talk about that because I actually had somebody recently reach out to me saying, my 10 year old wants to start lifting with me, but it's going to stunt his growth. We didn't talk about this before, but have you ever heard where that myth came from? I don't know the exact history of that myth. You know, I know we have a lot of, we kind of know generally kind of where that 10,000 steps came from, right? More of a a Japanese marketing campaign. Um, (laughs) But it also kind of works out. It checks out because the ideal amount of steps per day is somewhere probably between eight to 10, if not maybe a little bit more depending on where you're at in life or what else you do for a living. So that's that's something that came from somewhere that it really shouldn't have, but also it kind of worked out, which is great. I'm not sure where it came from, but I would like to know. I'm not sure how it would stunt your growth. Um, similar to young children drinking uh, soda. I'm not sure how that would stunt growth either. Hmm. I think there's an indirect rationale that would make sense there potentially of like, well, if you're just drinking a bunch of soda, you're not getting the right nutrients, you won't grow. Great. But also like, you know, kids are probably eating food alongside the soda, hopefully, right? (laughs) Some nutrients, right? So (laughs) they're going to grow. Also, you can feed a kid anything and they're going to probably grow. So, right. And um, some moms like me are like to the point of frustration of we will just give you anything if you just eat because some kids. Yeah, we're very picky. I mean, mm -hmm. I would eat. I mean, if it wasn't a chicken tender, I mean, get out of here. I'm not yeah. eating that. Yeah, that is how, kind of how it is. It's the chicken nuggets or die yeah. kind of thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> live and breathe chicken nuggets, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's it, those are the best. Um, okay, so let me let me. I just barely found out that it came from a study. Okay. Where they looked at young children who were forced to work in either camps or I think it might have been like post World War II where there wasn't, and and they totally ignored the fact that these children were starving. Right. They totally ignored the nutrition coming in piece, and they only looked at, and I think it was in Japan, they only looked at these children are forced to work and look at how much work they do and their growth is stunted. And so now people are like, this is really where it came from? That's where it came from? You mean nobody paused to say, and they're also not eating. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's I mean, look why. at any, I don't think any point in history where a human being would be emaciated beyond belief, underfed and overworked, they've ever been thriving physically. Exactly. Ever. Right. Exactly. That doesn't make any sense. So- when you think about, you know, uh, resistance training and starting to integrate this in, in a younger person's life, it's, you know, I think it all kind of starts with, it first starts with play, right? I used to jump off jungle gyms that were fairly tall. I, I would try to jump off. I was the kid that would just try to jump off the highest thing I could. And, you know, 
if that's not stunting my growth, I don't know what, what would, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I'm just jumping off high, high stuff <laughs> in landing straight on my, you know, bones. <laughs> like if that yeah. is, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm not the tallest person in the world, but yeah, I'm, maybe I'm a, Austin. Who knows? Maybe that I'm, explains it all. <laughs> maybe that explains it all. I'm of average height of a male in the U.S. So there you go. Um, but it starts with play, in my opinion, and and getting kids to play. Um, and through play, you know, they they see resistance on their muscles, on their bones, on their connective tissues, regardless, right? Mm-hmm. I play I played sports from a very young age. I started playing sports. Uh, when I was five, started playing basketball, football, and baseball when I was around five years old. And so I got a ton of play throughout my childhood, regardless, right? So I think when it came time for me to become interested in strength training and resistance training, I think I had a really good base mm-hmm. already. When I was 12 too, it's it's not like I started out, you know, back squatting for one rep max and, you know, trying to power uh, deadlifts you know, 300 pounds. Like I started out with some body weight stuff. Once I mastered some body weight stuff, my brother took me into the gym. He's a couple years older than I am. He started to teach me all the things that he was learning. And from a very same strength conditioning coach that I ended up having throughout my sports performance training years, who's, who was extremely overqualified and very, very smart and put all of us in a, in a great position to succeed. And so my brother was kind of handing that knowledge off that he was learning to me. And even when I first started going into the gym, it was still like, okay, we're going to do bodyweight dips. We're going to do pull-ups. We may get into some dumbbells today, but probably not. If we do, they'll be really light and I'm going to control for form. I'm going to be sure that you're, you're coordinating the movement. It looks natural. You know, you're not going to harm yourself or injure yourself. And I think more, it has more to do with the environment that this, these younger kids or adolescents are are within. Right. And I think the trouble you get in when you're young is really anytime, but especially when you're young, because you tend to be a little bit more uncoordinated, especially when under load, because your, your whole life's been spent under body weight. So you add any external load to that. The first time you squat or bench press, you tend to look like a giraffe that's just been born and you know, you're like, okay, I don't know how legs work now. Um, but with that, I do think it is environmental. And I I think one of the best things you can do as a parent, and I, I, you know, if I have children, this is certainly something I'm going to do. Um, but I see it happen at the gym a lot, which is, you know, these 11, 12, 13 year olds will start to come in with one of their parents and they'll start to train with their parents and they'll start to work out with their parents. They'll gain positive associations with the act of going. It'll become a consistent routine in their life. They'll have hopefully positive memories towards it. And it's a very reinforcing behavior. They're, they're inevitably going to feel better from it. They're inevitably going to feel stronger from it. They're going to physically start to look better. They're going to start to physically perform better in the, in the world, uh, in their everyday life or through sports. As we know, it's it's also very impactful for cognitive development as well. As a younger person's brain is developing, you know, it, it increases uh, BDNF, which essentially helps promote like neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to 
form and adapt to new things and become essentially better mm-hmm. and stronger and better neural pathways and, and all of those things, which are is very interesting. I think you should probably be mature enough to be able to listen. You should be mature enough to understand the impact of what this can have if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in full support of, you know, 11, 12 year olds being in the gym and lifting weights and starting to place resistance on their, on their muscles, bones, and connective tissues to help them adapt even stronger and, and even better. Um, cause as we know as well, the stronger that we can have those things be, the more resilience they have across our lifespan and typically the stronger they, they stay, uh, and we can help stave off things like osteoporosis and dynapenia and sarcopenia and all the things that all the muscle diseases that we see arise uh, in middle age and beyond for adults. If you're able to to gain a fundamental baseline of strength and, and bone mineral density, that's, that's massive for young children. You're really setting them up for success in a big way physically. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. And then just adding on like the them learning uh, grit and gaining confidence in themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my suggestion would be for moms and dads who want to start bringing their kids to the gym would be like, look for the wins. Don't, I mean, obviously we want to educate them on form, but I don't want somebody being like, that's not the iliac fiber yeah. we're going for. It's like, no, no, yeah. no, no. You make it fun. You build yeah. their confidence and you teach them respect of, um, like the people around, um, awareness of them and of the like machines and of the weight, right? Because you got to respect that. Otherwise, you're going to be stupid with it. And Absolutely. So I think it's a great thing. I love that you were so young when you very first started. So you, you're coming from a sports background, doing weights, then your coach. You've also done body uh, building shows. And now you're not competing, I kind of want you to walk us through that because, and I'm going to tell you why I want you to walk us through this, because I think I still remember one, the first time I met you and Mm -hmm. you and Kasim Hansen were asking me some questions. I remember saying, I feel like what I see is somebody does one bodybuilding show and then all of a sudden they think that they know everything because they get shredded. But the truth is they actually don't know very much. They only learned an extreme and I watched you and you were like nodding, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I felt like <laughs> that resonated with you. Oh, big time. So, yeah. So talk a little bit about that because you've been there, you've done it. And so many women are now following competitors and getting some weird ideas that this is how we all should live for health and fitness. What has your Dive experience been like? I think that spending time in an extreme can be valuable because it gives you the, if you're open and receptive to receiving this, it allows a perspective to be gained, right? It's hard to have perspective without experience because how would you, perspective is contextual to experience. So if you don't have an experience within something, it's hard to have a perspective within it. So that's one thing. And so I, I think having such an extreme experience with 
fitness and bodybuilding and attempting over, let's say, I think my total career was probably five or five years, probably. Um, so over a five year period, really my sole focus in life was how much muscle can I truly get whilst being as lean as humanly possible and then be judged on that competing against some of the best physiques in the world. That's not just you judging yourself in the mirror, Mm -mm. but having to hear outside views of your body. Oh, having grown men and women pick your body apart. And then give you (laughs) give you a sheet of paper at the end that basically says this is where you're lacking. Fix it. It's not for the faint of heart. You know, you have to Mm, Yeah. You kind of you're opening yourself up to that. And also it's very subjective, right? So Mm -hmm. what one person likes, another person may not. The the extreme does help gain perspective, right? You know, when I'm teaching these things to people that I train and coach that are early on, who are very similar to people that you describe. I explain things in a way where it's like, it's, it's like that, but the light version, you know, everything's kind of the light version, but also understanding that there is this reality of we can really gain 80 to 90% of the total benefit we're ever going to gain from that thing, like strength training with fairly low effort relative to what a bodybuilder is doing yeah, to maximize and optimize that, right? For example, this is an example that I, I think can, can help visualize it. So we know in strength training that the first set that we do is the, the first really hard set we do is going to be the most stimulatory towards a type of growth response or a positive adaptation we're going for there. That's going to be the most stimulatory set we do. And every set there on has a smaller impact on benefit and a higher impact on fatigue, mm-hmm. right? So the first set we get, let's say 90% or 80% of what we're going to get. And then the second set is the next five to 7%. And then the next set is the next one to 2% or whatever, right? Yeah. And so each yeah. one, like the first the first couple sets are like by and large, the most effective sets you're ever going to do with the lowest risk of downside in terms of downside here is fatigue mm-hmm. that we're going to have to manage properly across the week. So we don't get injured or overtrain or something. Mm-hmm. And so using that analogy, I think it's important to kind of put it in perspective with any effort that you're putting in, right? So being able to have a level of, of, direction and tension with things like nutrition or your training or, you know, working on your cardio metabolic health with aerobic training, like cardio training, most of those benefits are going to come from those early on efforts, right? That aren't to the degree that doesn't say you have to continue those consistently over time. Let's say if you're doing, you can get 80% of the benefit from doing two or three really solid training sessions across a week versus someone who, you know, like myself, when I was competing in bodybuilding, I would do two sessions a day, six days a week from those extra sessions. Yes. I'm getting more benefit towards my goal, but each session beyond those first three were very small amount 
in which I had to also very closely manage my fatigue, manage my muscular damage, manage my soreness. I had to manage, there's a lot more factors I had to manage that I, if going back and I didn't compete and I was just kind of living my life as I do now, it's just like a person in the world trying to be healthy and, you know, strong and capable and maintain my health over, over time, you know, I, I fully endorse having really a really, really solid two to three days per week of training. And if you don't love training, that's more, that's more than enough to reap most of the benefit you'll ever get from it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's an important thing to understand and that understanding that, you know, more isn't always better, right? A deeper deficit isn't always more effective, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, sleeping 12 hours isn't probably going to inevitably could be better than just a consistent seven to eight. So understanding the minimums, yeah, the minimum effective dose. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's a good way to that's put it. Yeah. Probably the most beneficial, if, if somebody could grasp that, mm -hmm. then that's, that's 80 to 90% of the rewards. Absolutely. And, and think of like a minimum effective dose. So there's a new study that came out, uh, a minimum effective dose to have a fairly large impact on all cause mortality. So think anything that can kill you like cardiovascular disease, uh, stroke, diabetes, you name it, 60, just 60 minutes a week lowers that risk up to 33%. I think the study said, um, or quoted, but 33% less risk of dying from something and strength training we know helps with up to 40 different chronic diseases that people die from like the most deadly diseases that we have that humans get strength training helps save off 40 of those. Hmm. And those are kind of those all cause, all cause mortality risks. Right. So by just doing 60 minutes, right, that's two 30 minute sessions. That's three 20 minute sessions mm -hmm. across a week can lower that by, you know, up to 30, 40%. And that, and I don't want you to get too caught up listeners in the, the percentages or the whatever, but it's just, understanding that minimum effective dose where you're getting so much benefit from just doing something mm -hmm. right and the, the important thing is finding that something that you enjoy enough to consistently show up and do it right same with the nutritional approach or whatever lifestyle you're trying to to create around it but those minimum effective doses are extremely powerful and you tend to get again reap most of the benefit from the minimums, which are very important. Yeah. I love that. So when it comes to, let's move over to nutrition. When it comes to nutrition, what do you feel like if we can continue calling them like the minimum effective dose, what are some things that people then should be looking at as far as minimums? Because a lot of times, sadly, our reference point is maximums. Like I even just had somebody reach out to me today saying, what's the max amount of protein I can have? I'm like, why are you asking that question? Yeah, like, who cares? You're like, <laughs> eat until you can. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I'm like, I mean, it. it's like, it's like caffeine. There is none. Okay. There is, but <laughs> there is with caffeine, but somebody yeah, but, who's addicted like me will say there is. <laughs> again, like it, it's all very contextual. Right. And yes. you know, I've, there's been periods in my life where I'm, my caffeine intake 
has been over a thousand milligrams a day. Whoa. Which for me at that time was like, you know, I slept fine. I was normal, mm -hmm. but obviously you start to gain. So obviously the higher caffeine usage becomes less effective, right? It's like mm -hmm. any other yeah. drug. Caffeine is yeah. a drug, like any other drug. It's just one that's more accepted and one that has very minimal downside. I mean, I was a professional athlete at that time in terms of, I, I trained like a professional athlete at the time, mm -hmm. right? So two, yeah. two sessions a day, I was going to school, I was working. I just, I had to survive. So that was what I was doing, right? But also like if my grandma has a green tea, she's up for two days. So it's, everyone's different with, with what they can tolerate or what their body demands, right? And your body metabolizes things differently, metabolizes everything differently in many ways. And, and sometimes you can be better at metabolizing that or, or less, uh, have less effectiveness of metabolizing certain things. You know, I, I do think having this minimum effective dose mentality around most things you do because more can be better in that scenario. So as long as you kind of are able to nail down like, okay, what is my minimum effective dose that I know is making a positive, creating a positive in my life towards a better version of myself and a healthier version of myself, let's establish that, mm -hmm. right? Because if you can't establish the minimum effective dose, then what's the point of finding the maximum effective dose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Truthfully, because okay. you're not going to stick to it. You're not going to do it. You know, it's kind of goes to the, the adage we always talk about as, as coaches of like the best program is the one that you're going to stick to. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the one that looks best on paper is quote unquote optimal yeah. based off the latest science. It's how can we use the knowledge we have from all of those other things to create a program that's just going to be as effective as it needs to be for you and that you're going to stick to. And so finding what that is for you in things like protein, right? As you mentioned, it seems the longer, like over the past decade, it seems that we need less and less and less than we have always thought, mm -hmm. right? Protein is very important. You should definitely get it in. But at one time, you know, it, it was well, you need at least at least one and a half, if not two two times your body weight. You know, if you're not doing that, you're not. There's no way you're getting enough protein. And now it's like, well, you could probably get 0.6, almost half your body weight in protein, and probably be fine, probably be healthy, probably be you can be a very healthy, active adult. Yeah, and get that's enough. That seems to be good. There's other mechanisms at play, right? So. You know, we protein turns certain machinery on that allows us to maintain and grow new muscle tissue, but strength training also stimulates that. And it's a much greater stimulator of that process than protein is alone. Okay. So if we're active and we're, we're training our muscles under resistance, then we're getting a huge signal to do that thing anyways. And now we just need to be sure that we have a few meals a day that have maybe at least 20 grams of protein in them, if not a little bit more, depending on if your body size and muscle mass. But that's really good start. That's a minimum effective dose for that. So three or four meals with 20 grams of protein in them, yeah, you're, you're probably pretty good mm -hmm. for most people. It is, and I love that you bring up the context is so, so important because when we are just trying to like, sometimes when, when women are just trying to maintain 
a small, smaller body. We're trying to uh, lose weight and maintain, and we don't really, really care about maximizing muscle growth or holding on to as much muscle or whatnot. What you need is not what these bodybuilders are doing that, that you're following. It's it's nothing like that. If you're trying to go for recomp, there have been some good studies showing, yeah, you probably want to get more. Mm-hmm. You want to have it higher. But a lot of times when it's just, I just want to, you know, lose weight and maintain. And I don't really care what my delts look like or my glutes look like. It's I just want to be healthy and strong. It's like, okay. It is interesting. Is that one of the things that you feel like over the past few years you've changed your mind on is protein? Considerably. I I think this is over the past several years, this is the lowest my protein's ever been on a consistent basis. And again, I, I, start, I have these minimum thresholds. So every meal I have, it's going to have at least 20 to 25 grams of mm-hmm. protein in it. That's a minimum for me. That's again, that's a minimum threshold. And I think with everything, it's a minimum threshold thing. So I have a minimum threshold for steps per day that I get. I have a minimum threshold for general calories that I try and get per day. I have a minimum threshold for as much sleep as I get per day. I have a minimum threshold for how many times a week I strength train. I have a minimum threshold for how many times I do aerobic training in the week. Those thresholds aren't astronomical. So I'm 200, 205 pounds. I'd say consistently I get probably 140 to 150 grams of protein per day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get a lot more than that, depending on what I, you know, if that day had a lot of meat in it or more protein shakes or whatever, but sometimes the day d- just doesn't and that's fine too. But my minimum threshold is like 140, 150, you know, minimum threshold for me strength training wise is at least two sessions a week. Minimum threshold for steps per day is minimum 7,000 steps per day, just because we have data that shows that's a good minimum threshold to have. Again, uh, having positive adaptations towards our metabolism and uh, the rest of our system of regulating risk of all-cause mortality as we continue to age. And again, minimum threshold for sleeps around six hours a night. I try to shoot for eight, but sometimes that doesn't happen because we're humans and that's life. You know, I have these minimum thresholds for myself and I would say recently I've been consistently training four or five times a week. I've probably consistently gotten a little bit more protein because I'm training a little bit more, but I also have more of an appetite because I'm training more, I'm moving more. I tend to go towards, I tend to gravitate towards food a little bit more during those periods of time naturally, right? Because while I'm moving more, I need more food, but I think having those minimum thresholds are, are very important, but protein certainly is one that I, I used to really be anxious about like, oh my gosh, okay, we're, we're somewhere, we're at a, a graduation party, we're, we're like, I need, there's no protein here, what's good, like, do I bring a shake, do I, what do I do, you know, mm-hmm. I got to find whatever's here that has protein, I even used to blow my calories out of the water just so I got the protein, right, so if there's only fried chicken or something that's, you know, has a ton of kind of needless, I'm not saying I love fried chicken, but you definitely should not eat that daily. I would eat a ton of something that I knew was going to calorically be way too much just so I got my protein source or just so I got my protein hit. 
And it's like, that's probably a short-sighted view of what that actually means or matters. And so I've definitely taken a, a giant step back in terms of protein. I love that you brought that up because we recently went to Boston and people are always surprised by how little I track throughout the year. I usually just Mm -hmm. mindfully eat, but we went there and my husband was tracking before he's trying to lose weight and I'm not tracking and people are like, what are you, what are you doing? And how are you finding protein? And how are you doing this and this? And it's funny because I'm like, I'm on vacation and I'm yeah. going to eat till satisfied, not till stuffed. So I'm still going to respect my body. I'm going to respect like, like even what I want. But I do think like you, Austin, probably four years ago, the Lindsay four years ago would have been bringing like her core power with her. <laughs> yeah. I would be like, I'm going to bring a shaker with a few scoops because they never have enough protein. And now it is kind of funny. I like that you said... Extremes are good. Living in extremes are good because we gain experience, we gain knowledge. And, and I, yeah, perspective and hopefully wisdom comes yeah. with that. Because I was telling Alex, you know, I'm getting all these questions about like, I took a picture of my plate and there was no protein on it. Now, well, I think that there were like some sausage links or something like that. But other than that, people Quite are low. like, how, what'd you say? Quite low in protein. Yeah, 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 exactly, compared to how many carbs were on that plate. But um, people are like, well, how are you managing protein? How are you doing that? And I'm like, do you know what's funny is I'm on vacation, and for a week I'm not going to be eating like I normally do at home. And I don't care, and I'm not stressing because actually for me to maintain my health and my weight is just – eating mindfully and until satisfied, not stuffed. And if people can actually allow themselves to do that a little bit better, there'd be like this mental freedom that I feel like they would find. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to think too, uh, humans existed. We've existed as we've existed and the way we look and function now for, I mean, uh, the, the knowledge we have now is, for the past 200, 300,000 years. So what do you think human beings were doing? You think they had a steady flow of meal by meal protein regulated out, (laughs) right? Humans across time, even through known documented history, most humans didn't really know probably when their next full meal was coming. Yeah. Yet they still lived and created and lived a full life for as long as they did. So the fact that we have an opportunity to care and the fact that we have an opportunity to even think about optimizing that is pretty insane. Mm -hmm. So I think starting again, perspective is huge. So understanding like, wow, I have, you know, dare I say, I have the privilege to have a steady daily intake of protein in my life is absolutely huge. And that's a huge bonus for me. Mm-hmm. It's not like I get protein once a week. Um, you know, you can even probably go ask some of your grandparents, you know, people listening to this, what, I mean, their lives look like, what their nutrition looked like back in the day. Well, we had, we had steak, we had a steak once a week, or we, ha- we know we had, we were having meat for dinner twice a week, but every other, you know, the other days of the week, it was like beans and grains and, 
other things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay, great. Yeah. I mean, and and look at your grandpa. Like they're they're still alive. They're here. They're they're fine. Like they're going on with mm-hmm. their life. Um, they're probably hopefully at least somewhat healthy. And that probably has more to do with how much they've moved and how much they've physically challenged themselves across their lifetime more so than how much protein they eat across their lifetime. And so I, I think having a hierarchy of importance is, is absolutely crucial to not only improving the way that you look, feel, and function, but also maintaining the, the way you look, feel, and function. Mm-hmm. And understanding that the best thing you could possibly do for yourself is to be physically active and to get as consistent of sleep as you possibly can, depending on your situation, and to eat as nutritiously as you possibly can, given your situation. And I say given your situation is because everyone's car- you're, everyone's playing it with a different hand that they've been dealt, whether that's in life, whether that's on a day-to-day basis, whether that's whatever, you know, so the hand you're dealt around the holidays around your family is probably for some, probably a crappy one. There's crappy food around. There's people giving you crap about that fact that you care about what you're doing with your body. Yet it's up to you to kind of make the best of that hand that you've been dealt in that situation. Right. And that's going to look different for everyone at different points in their life or for whatever holiday or whatever intention you have that for that season of life. But I I think having a hierarchy of importance where physical movement is kind of at the top Mm -hmm. and health promoting behaviors are at the top. And I think almost everyone understands generally what healthy is. Right. We can all, we all have a, an idea of a horizon that exists that we would define as healthier behaviors. And it's up to us to generally move in that direction. Mm-hmm. And depending on kind of your goals and the timelines of those goals, there's certainly better routes that take less time, that there's less headaches or there's less confusion. But Nonetheless, it's very important that you're just trying to continue to walk towards that horizon of what a healthier life looks like, you know, and so any effort towards that, I think is, is extremely powerful And those efforts compound over time. And they also are very reinforcing. So the fact that you, the more you move, the more your body tends to want to move, the better you eat, the better your body tends to want to eat, right? Obviously food environments, huge. Uh, your environment in general is huge, whether that's around physical activity or food. You know, if if you struggle with a bad environment around food, then work to change that environment, to have less food around that you know isn't healthy, that isn't packed full of nutrients, that isn't filling when you eat it. Try and put yourself in an environment where movement isn't seen as something that is crazy, you know, like, yeah, sometimes I go to, you know, sometimes I go places and I'll find myself in certain situations where, you know, I'll wake up, go for a walk. After I eat, I'll go for a walk. Before I go to bed, I'll go for a walk. People look at me like I have two heads. Like, they're like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Why are you just walking? Why are you just, what are you doing? What's the point of that? And I'm like, well, I feel better and I stay healthier when I do it. My body composition seems to to hold on better when I do it, it maintains itself better. I sleep better. My brain feels clearer. 
what's the problem? Right. Yeah. And also I go places where that's just a part of what they do. It's like, Oh, Hey, morning walk. You coming? Hey, after, after we eat walk, you coming? And if you're not in this environment, then you're going to have to do it. And that sometimes can be a burden, but it's also, I think in, it, it can be empowering mm-hmm. where it's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to lead right now. And I'm going to be a leader within my own life. And I'm going to be a leader within this family. And I try to do that with my family when I go on vacation with them every day after breakfast, we do a long hour to two hour long walk on the, cause we always do beach vacations with that side of my family. And so every day after breakfast for that week, there's at least the minimum threshold hour long walk after breakfast. It's optional if you want to come, but it's absolutely happening every day, non-negotiable because you at least did something physical. You did something health promoting that day. And you tend to make better decisions after you do something like that. That is so true. You really do set up your environment better when you start out the day that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just kind of recap the thoughts that are coming to me as you're talking is I feel like you, by focusing on the minimum dose, we are really focusing on the things that are going to bring the greatest return for your investment as far as health. Absolutely. So focusing on that as far as health, I've seen studies now saying, you know, yeah, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7. Those are like, that's the minimum for mm-hmm. healthy individuals as far as protein goes. As you move away from that, I just want to spend the next few minutes like, because some people are like, that's awesome. I love my healthy lifestyle. I have that down. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a bodybuilder, but... <laughs> But I do want to look like I go to the gym every day mm-hmm. because I do. So do do you think that they have a different minimum dose? Do they – what are your thoughts on that? I think there's going to be a new minimum dose for maybe how much you resistance train, how hard you train during those sessions, maybe how many sets you're doing, how many reps you're doing or at least how hard you're working within how many sets and reps you're doing. I think that starts to shift up a little bit more. I think everything tends to shift up. Okay. Right. I see it more on a sliding scale that is in relation to the context of your own life and, and kind of what those goals look like for you. As those goals slide towards greater difficulty goals, more involved goals, which typically mean, okay, I want to get stronger. I want to build more muscle. I want to get a little bit leaner. The intensity of that goal starts to shift towards more intense. And as that sliding scale starts to shift, it becomes more important for the other things to follow. So again, we have these minimum thresholds. We have these minimum effective doses or dosages that can help us meet those minimum requirements to properly manage our health and our health span across our life, right? But as your goals and the difficulty of those goals goes up, well, you're going to have to care a little bit more about those other things too. And so, you know, we don't have hard numbers as of right now that say one gram is 
necessarily any better than 0.8 grams, grams of protein per pound of body weight, right? We don't necessarily have anything that says that. We just know that we have these certain markers where up to a certain point, this seems to be continuously a little bit, maybe a little bit more beneficial. Mm -hmm. Like let's say one point, so around 0.8. So it's 1.6 grams per kilogram. Mm -hmm. So it's around 0.8 grams per pound. Cause you can just usually divide kilograms by two and you're close. Let's say it's 0 0.7, 0 0.8 grams per pound. There isn't anything, even within the meta, the meta analysis. So the study of all the studies that were looking at protein that even came up with that one point, that 0.8 or 1.6 number, the chart that they graphed out doesn't definitively say that, well, 0.7 is any worse than 0.8 or any less effective. We just kind of know that 0.8 is a good threshold. I think that we have, again, we kind of go back to these minimum thresholds and the higher level of difficulty that goal has. I think you should continually progress the other efforts towards promoting or helping sustain the effort towards that goal that you have. And so it could mean more protein, you know, that could be a little bit more intention towards your, your nutrition, right? Instead of generally eating, maybe you have a little bit more focus towards, okay, I do need to really focus on my protein intake today or during the season that I'm aiming for this goal, I may need to more tightly regulate what those other macronutrients are or how much generally I'm getting of those per day based off of how I'm feeling and performing in my workouts and how I'm recovering from those workouts, how I'm sleeping throughout the week from those workouts and from that nutrition, supporting that training. And I, I think you have some form of regulation that you have to sort of monitor you know, it doesn't have to be super closely, but you at least need to have an idea mm -hmm. of like, Hey, do you, are you feeling a little bit better now that you're eating a, a little bit more carbohydrates or a little bit more protein? And generally people say, yeah, I do. Okay. Are you still moving towards, towards your goal? Yeah. Great. Keep going, mm -hmm. keep adjusting, you know? And I think that's as complicated as it truly needs to be. And obviously the time duration that you want to complete a goal in really changes how strict you have to be towards all of those things that we've talked about today, right? So, you know, if you generally have a goal over the next 12 months to reach a certain body weight or a certain body fat level or a certain look for you, well, 12 months is quite a long time. So just get started and start moving in the right direction. And again, all of those things are quite reinforcing. The more effort you put towards something, the more effort you put towards things that support that thing because we don't like to waste time. People don't like to waste time. They don't like to backtrack. They don't like to do all of these things. Yeah. It's sort of, it seems to be a natural thing for, for us. So just psychologically. So we tend to put a little bit more effort in the supporting things that help support the main goal of the thing we're putting so much effort into. Let's say you have a goal of achieving what you were thinking about over 12 months. Now you want to achieve it in six. Well, that changes things. Now you got to care a little bit more. You got to be a little bit more intentional or a lot more intentional, depending on mm -hmm. who you are and your, where you're starting. But I think the intensity of that, the intensity of the goal, the intensity of the timeline, 
uh, has as probably the biggest part to play outside of those minimum effective doses. I love that. That is so good. So the main things that I'm kind of walking away with this is, like I said, if if your main goal is, look, I just want to be healthy. I just want to reap the rewards of being healthy, of extending my life as long as I can, of being in good health for my kids, grandkids, so on, then um, finding the minimum dose and following it, and it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. But as we get more specific in our goal, and as the time frame for that starts shrinking, that's when we really have to focus and care about the nutrition, about the training program, about the intensity levels of the training program and the overall uh, volume of work that's being done there. So those things begin to matter even more, but it's still on a spectrum. And I think that that's so good to remind people of is everything lies on a spectrum actually. And even like you said, the studies about protein, even those are on a spectrum because yeah. if you if you ever talk to to somebody who's you know read a lot of research on it, they'll say, "Well, we had this study where they tested this crazy number and then this really low number, and it seems like somewhere in the middle. Like it is, it is never you have to do this. It's usually, well, these are good ideas if your goal is this. And it's people are always blown away. Protein is one thing that I've changed my mind on a lot over the years mm-hmm. too. I used to give everybody one gram, right? Per goal yeah, body a, weight. That's a pretty good goal if you're <laughs> starting was, out. That was it just for everybody across the board kind of thing. And then I started realizing, well, people aren't being compliant. People don't all want the same goal. Some people don't care about body recomp. They just want to lose weight. They just want to feel good in their skin. Like there were so many things. So just knowing that these things really do um, live on this on this scale. I think just a really powerful reminder. Okay, Austin, I've loved having you on. Tell us what are you doing right now? What stuff do you have going on as far as coaching? I I know a lot of women reach out to me and are like, "Do you know any male trainers?" For some reason, they don't. <laughs> their husbands don't want to use my app, Austin, and I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, I can tell you they'd make a lot of gains, but um, <laughs> Thank you. Lindsay knows what she's talking about. Uh, scienceofstrengthtraining.com is my business. It's, it's my website. Uh, I'm going to be around the new year here. I'll be launching my training app, which has everything from beginner programs up to more intermediate advanced programs, depending on if your husbands are just starting out. And I, I know there's probably a lot of, of men around this time of year. I know I, obviously a lot of women as well, but I, I know there's a lot of men who know that they should be into the gym or they should be into the, into getting into the gym. Sorry. But they're a little bit hesitant because they don't quite understand maybe how much, what are those minimum thresholds for me? They know maybe what they used to do back in the day but they don't know if that's still effective or if they can even go through those movement patterns anymore as effectively as they once did. You know, maybe they're not sure how many sets they should be doing or how much volume of that work they should be doing when they're starting out. I think there's some form of ego within this as well of like, we feel as if we should have this thing at 
this gym thing, we should have it down. We should have it mastered. Mm -hmm. I'm a man. I, I should have this mastered. And it's just not necessarily true. I mean, I, I can't walk into any other thing that I haven't spent time doing and just show up and be like, well, I'm a man. I know how to do this. It's like, well, you yeah. haven't been doing it. So you may not, and that's okay. And yeah. so the app, um, so coaching, you know, I have one-on-one -on -one coaching spots open. Um, so if you're looking for something a little bit more individualized, a little bit more accountability on a weekly basis attached to that, where we're having more touch points and, and everything is more one-to-one -one and individual with you, I have coaching spots open there. Or if you want a little bit more of a, a hands-off approach with an opportunity to still ask questions and, and get your technique looked at and everything else, then the training app is a really good affordable option to, to do that as well. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Austin. You're awesome. Thanks for having me. Okay. We'll talk to you later. 